friends, welcome back to another episode of the Film Alchemist Podcast, the show where we look at movies we love, break them apart, to find out what gives them their magic. I'm your host, Josh Griffey, joined as always by my friend, co-host, and terrible Italian son. He's Greek, and it's Alex Dandino. <laughs> Alex, why you do this to the pod? Guys, I, I gotta confess, up front, I'm beaten down, I'm world-weary. I've been digging in the dirt. I'm so old. I've seen all the sins of the world. We've only done one curation so far. Good Lord. How could you already be this beaten down? That's a lot. That's a lot. There are a lot of pods. It was awesome. It was awesome. Child's Play was great, guys. Due to uh, scheduling snafus, some of our dear friends couldn't actually join us this October uh, for the Whore Mega Marathon. 31 pods, 31 days. And the Whore, a beast. So we got the chance to add an entire other series we wanted to talk about and this is a big one uh it is the story of heaven and hell both figuratively and literally uh we're doing the exorcist now i would say there are very few movies that oh you thought i was gonna start the pod see i'm a tricky devil we got some business before we get there guys we're on patreon patreon.com slash film alchemist pod guys it's the best way to support the show we appreciate every dollar we know you work hard for the dollar so we try to work hard for it as well if you go over to our patreon for as little as a dollar a month you can support the show uh as you go up the highlander ranking systems you can actually select the specific movies you want us to talk about making the show exactly what you want and deserve we love our patrons we have a great community we appreciate so much all the help Truly you guys wonderful. give us Yes. So for those of you who help us out, thank you as always. For those of you who are about to, thank you as well. Remember, the YouTube is Film Alchemist, video versions of most of the pods. The email for the show is filmalchemistpod at gmail.com. And like all cool young people, we run the socials. Uh, so find us, guys. We appreciate it. Five star ratings, reviews, all that. All right. Now that my devilry is done, let's get to the revelry. <laughs> wordplay up top it's fine all right so as i was saying the exorcist right we're doing the exorcist series today's episode the exorcist widely considered uh by many people to be the greatest horror movie ever made i'm not sure that they're wrong uh i've always had this discussion with people uh yeah that if you had a time machine and could go back and see one movie live in a theater i always go back and forth between the exorcist jaws and star wars right those would be like the three for different reasons but i feel like if i was going back for jaws i should go back for the exorcist instead not fighting about which is better but if i want to see people fucking scared i'll see about this today so before this movie came out in the 70s what movie would you have seen that went this fucking hard in the horror arena like i mean you wouldn't have seen it like it would have been in yeah. a fucking it would have been in a fucking you know low key it would have been in a low key like b-side house and like they like 15 people would have seen it and then like now right. everyone would have watched it but that's i mean there are a lot of those kind of movies that were doing you know extreme violence and action and things like this but a real horror movie that just scared the shit out of people my uncle said he got to go see it live and he explains like it was it was a life-altering event right people weeping and crying and throwing up and mad like people like praying in the theater 
and the way he describes it, it just sounds like one of those things I would love to see. And I always tell people, this is one of the, I think it's one of the few movies that truly matters, right? Like, I know that sounds insane to say, right? But I, I think a lot of movies we see are similar tales, retold, this and that. This movie had an enormous pop culture impact. But not only that, I feel like this is one of those, if you were to give movies to an alien species, like this is what it was like to be a person. I think this would be one of my five. It's, it's so, the horror is obviously what we remember, right? The little girl and the scariness and all that. This is just such a great capsule of what it's like to feel fucking utterly alone in the world and universe and rudderless and how fucking terrified, religion is terrifying across the board, right? And I think this movie just captures not only the fear of something bigger, but that also just hollow emptiness of what we're all dealing with. Alex, I mean, there's so much to say. It's one of my favorite movies ever. What do you want to start with in The Exorcist? What were your opening thoughts? Um, I saw this movie, I think I saw it when I was 16 years old, if I remember correctly. I waited a very long time to watch it. Uh, when I was younger, I was much more impressionable because I was raised Catholic. So oh, yeah. <laughs> I had a lot of that general fear. Um, and I remember watching this and be not being as like legitimately terrified as I expected to be, but honestly more just being like intrigued. I think that's a really yeah. weird reaction to have to this movie. Cause like it is supposed to scare the fucking shit out of you. And there, don't get me wrong. There's stuff in here that should scare the fucking shit. If it doesn't scare you, I'm like, not even like a, Oh, like I get scared easily, but just like, if you don't register that that is scary, then I actually will pray for you. Like whatever's like happening in your <laughs> life, like something's terrible is happening. To you. Uh, but I remember being really like father Karras was just such a fascinating character to me and everything mm -hmm. about just the investigative nature of the story itself, I think is much more interesting than the actual horror. And I remember after the first time I watched it, nothing scared me about like Reagan other than the actual possession itself. I just remember, I always remember the face. That's the one thing I remember. And everybody knows what I'm talking about. It's yeah. the only thing that stuck with me beyond everything else. Like beyond reproach, by far the scariest thing I've seen in a movie is just the flash of that face. There's never been anything that scared me more than that. Maybe up, maybe up until the first paranormal activity, that might be the <laughs> first time I was actually legitimately scared right. since that part. But that is the power of this movie. And paranormal is a completely different thought experiment, right? Sure, totally. They're using every trick at their disposal to try to garner that roller coaster effect, right? Mm -hmm. And I know that people will say that freaking used, you know, B sounds and industrial sounds. Like he layered all these sounds to like elicit these like genetic response. That's why. Sure. I think what you're struck by when you rewatch this movie over and over is think about what's happening in movies too, right? This came out in 73 and Texas Chainsaw was 74. Mm -hmm. So this is filmmakers saying you see everything as this world, right? This America. And we're fucking coming for it. Yeah. And we're coming for it hard. And then you get Halloween in 78. This is the, we are going to deconstruct and destroy everything that is safe and okay in American uh, era. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's one of the things you're struck by in the movie is it's so fucking still and small, right? The way I, cause it's a movie, it's a movie that's about a film star who is rich and has butlers and servants and whatnot. 
and her child gets sick, right? But what it you start peeling away all that other stuff, what you remember is how fucking relatable the struggle of this woman is, right? The struggle, the struggle of Father Karis. And as I watch it now, older, right? I mean, every time you watch it, you're the oldest you've ever been. But when I watched it today, I was like, I don't know if I've watched this since I've become a father again. I and well, think about the start of this movie, right? You're just out there trying to make your way. Oh, fuck, your kid's sick. And then oh, you yeah. have eight doctors saying, yeah, we got nothing. And you're you're watching this beautiful, precious yeah. creature that you love just mutate and change. And the fear of that, right? The fear of being an only parent, the fear of how society is judging you. Um, so there's a lot of stuff that is fucking horrifying. Even Father Karras, right? The whole, hey, I got a job, mom. I can't be here every day. I don't want to leave the house. Well, you know, you medically need help. And like, so there's so much of that small human struggle that's so related. Because again, I think all we... The things that leap out of your mind are the possession and exorcism. It's so big and shocking. Right? Sure. But those scenes are what, to me, separate this movie, right? right? This movie, because it's almost what? In 30 minutes before we see like the candelabra. Like, and then it's almost what? An hour before we see the first like bed shaking. So you're like, there's a lot of fucking movie yeah. that's just showing us how scary normal life can be before the possession begins. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's what The Exorcist does so well. Is it just that's what really is scary. This is 1973 too, and like now, like we've had a lot of stories about this because obviously everyone who saw The Exorcist went on to make movies about. But you remember kind of a scene in that when the guy, the doctor's like, "Hey, have you ever heard of exorcism?" Like that would be a question. No doctor would say that no. now because of this movie, right? Exactly. And it spawned this whole like, fucking. That's mega what it is, though. Is like I, yeah. I think that. It's the fear of this movie does such a good job. And more than anything, that's what it is, is. It's the fear of the real world unknowns that I think is the scariest part is. Yeah. Like watching it today as a parent. Yes. Like you're struck by the fact like, holy shit, like Chris McNeil has no idea what to do with her daughter. And she's like probably doing the exact same thing. The rest of us would be doing is like taking her to every fucking doctor doing all these horrible things. Like all of these fucking uh neurological things they had to do like the um the machines and all this shit is terrifying like that above everything with else. that cranked up like jung, 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 yeah. Jung, jung. yeah and like i mean you see everything reagan's going through and all this stuff but i mean the thing that i always come the thing that i always come back to, and this is another thing that i like the movie itself is incredible I've actually there's a awesome documentary uh, or documentary podcast actually about uh, they're more like they're like dramatizations of making of movies and one of the first series they're on from Wondery Studios the first series is called Inside the Exorcist and a lot of it is about like William Peter Blatty's ex ex like coming to grips with like writing the story and then like mm -hmm. the actual creation of the movie and like William Friedkin being kept being brought in as the director which was at the time, like they were like, this guy, all he does is documentaries. Why the fuck would we hire him to make a fucking movie about this kind of shit? But everything about what makes this movie great is a lot of how everyone understands this has to be real. Like nothing about this is otherworldly, so to speak. We're dealing with these otherworldly ideas and these otherworldly concepts, but nothing about this should feel otherworldly. And I think that's what makes the movie so terrifying on like a baser level is that it feels real. It doesn't have to feel like yeah. the Omen, for instance, like I love the Omen. I, the Omen's like one of my all time favorite horror movies. 
the omen at no point feels real to me. Like, yeah, sure, no. there may be a kid, but there's no point at any time that I feel I'm living in the real world. This, 1,000% yeah. from the very beginning, from the first thing you see, even in Iraq, where Car or um, uh, sorry, not Karis, Marin. Uh, where Marin is like sweeping away and like finding the Pazuzu statue, that fucking shot of them like toe to toe, you're like, this should feel more presented and in the hands of any other director right. it might be, but like it feels real. Like you're like, holy shit, this is the fucking yeah. showdown. Well, very rarely when I'm on work as an ambassador in the UK in my mansion, my nanny's just hung herself. I. You know, find a dog in a casket. Right. Not and all of thing. a sudden, you know, the Gregarian chants are like filling. That's what I mean. This movie's so fucking start. And it does this startling thing where it cuts on insanely loud sounds to quiet a lot. Right. Right. And it's one of those. The lack of music in the film becomes a very powerful tool because, like you said, it's immersing you into this. Right. They spend a lot of time at the start showing Regan overhearing that her dad doesn't want to call her on her birthday. Right. Um, they do a lot of that kind of stuff where they're trying to set you up. And a lot of that, again, is this assault on the uh, nuclear family, right? That Ellen Burstyn's Karen, uh, Karen, <laughs> she is a fucking bit of like one of the first great movie Karens. The way she just starts screaming at that operator and then the doctors like she really likes to like Karen it up in this movie. A little bit. Yeah. There. I mean, she's got a lot of Can shit you... going on. I get it. There's something uh, that. Sorry, go ahead and finish. Oh, no, no. So what I was going to say about it, though, but what they're doing is they're setting her up as she's a social a socialite who's having a party when her child's drunk. Mm -hmm. She's a movie star. There's no father in the home, right? I think even Karis asked her about that, right? Yeah. So they're setting up is that her lifestyle is somehow inviting this thing. Because that's one of the great mysteries of the movie is how all of these threads tie together that right. uh, Regan is the victim. And we'll... We'll talk about a lot of that uh, in The Heretic. Perhaps some questions, some abuses don't look into so far. Boo. That's the there. Anyways. But, uh, yeah, boo, boo. <laughs> right? So, <laughs> boo. Yeah. I mean, for every light, there must be dark, I guess. So here, um, but when you look at it, right? So what they're saying, essentially, is that her sinful nature and Karis losing his faith, right? And, you know, maybe because Catholic priests are smoking and beating cheeks, whatever they want. Maybe this is why... Some of this is happening. So there's a lot of that kind of, it could be a psychological problem. Like one of the great scenes to me is when she comes into the party and the priest like, hey, I'll play a little piano number. And she just walks in and, you know, utters, you know, you're going to die up there and just wets her pants. Like just imagine the staggering horror of your, your child coming down during a get together and just staring you in the eyes and just peeing on the floor. Like little things like that get a lot of run in this movie because there's a cloud of whore and yeah. exorcist hanging over. I think the, yeah, I actually think the more effective possession things are those things, like those moments, like calling the, calling the doctor a fucking bastard. You're like, geez, salty language from, a, Oh, like it is like those little things. And like up until the spider walk down the stairs, which is like one of my all time favorites, which actually wasn't even in the fucking original, it wasn't movie. in the original cut. Which is crazy. It's Which, probably the most memorable scene short of the, the pea soup mm -hmm. in people's minds. And it's not even in the fucking movie. Not even in the original movie. I watched. So I, today I watched the director's cut, by the way, which isn't demonstrably different. But either way. Um, yeah. Those little things are far more effective than like. And her. 
she like pre like grotesque possession so to speak like pre mm-hmm. her like face getting fucked up and that kind of thing and the the eyeballs is really much more terrifying because once it like physically manifests you're like okay i'm scared but in the way that like i understand that there's something otherworldly going on here yeah i think the thing that the thing that always strikes me about this movie and i think this is the part that i always came back to when i watched it again was jason miller's father Karis. like because look around the, the time I watched this movie was I also had a horrible crisis of faith. Like I really, when I was younger, I was actually very much, I, I liked going to church. I was actually mm-hmm. kind of Same. involved and I was okay with it. And I had a couple of things happen in our lives where I was just not enough, not to me personally, but like a couple of things happened where people shook my faith who claimed that they were people of great faith. And I was just like, this seems like horse shit. And I remember seeing this movie and being like, oh, wow. Like, even someone as pious as a priest willing to perform an exorcism can sit there and be like, I think, I don't think, I think I might have lost it. Like, I might not be. And everyone throughout the movie, too, keeps reminding Karis, too. This is something I noticed today. Everyone throughout the movie keeps reminding Karis he should have done something else with his life. It's very weird. But, like, like when he goes to visit his mother in in the hospital. And his brother's like, you know, you could be a guy on Park Avenue, but instead you chose to do this. Like, there's just this constant repetition of beating down Karis's life choices and being like, you could have been anything and you decided to do this. How is that helping anyone around you? Right. And I think it's more because this is when that famous magazine cover came out, right? That God is dead. Yeah. I think there's just a lot of that vibe in the world, right? Is... And I'll get to, I have a lot of thoughts on the Iraq opening, right? I'll get to that in a minute. Um, But it is this kind of, this lost way, right? And even the guy walking it doesn't seem interested in it anymore. He's a psychologist. He kind of knows the poppycockness of it, right? That it can be a tool and it's kind of like a diet, right? Like set your boundaries and try to stay within them. You'll be a happier, healthier person. Right. But it's not some man upstairs, right? And a lot of this movie is watching a man who... He couldn't even help his mother and this and that. So everyone's like, why are you giving your time to this God and thing that's not giving you jack shit? Right, exactly. Like you're serving the, you know, the all powerful bearded guy. Where's our fucking cut of the cake? You know, like we want a little extra frosting on our cake. We want the little frosting flour. All the kids fight over at birthday parties. And he doesn't get that. Right. And so I think this, the stunning part about Karis's story, because I think you could argue that Ellen Burstyn essentially fades from the film once the actual exercising starts, right? This is really a collision course between these men of faith and this demon. Yeah. So she kind of carries it and sets this realistic tone of a mother struggling to save a child, right? Right. And a son trying to save his mom, right? So they set this very real world thing so that when the head spins and when we start seeing truly demonic manifestations, it feels more real to us because of the hour of the movie we've sent spent sunk in this world. But since Ellen Burstyn disappears, this journey of Father Karras confronted with the reality of his profession is pretty fucking stunning to watch, right? Yeah. yeah. You're kind of struck by both of these men of the cloth, and you get it because Father Marin's a real just like fucking, you know, crucifix stiff hard on, you know, like, I'm a man of faith. I know what's up, blah, blah, blah. 
Karis is sitting there looking and goes, oh my God, it's not bullshit. Yeah. And that is an amazing addition to the movie The Exorcist. That's like the truly, that's the truly fascinating like juxtaposition of everything is that you realize he he comes to this realization after, yeah, like his faith is restored by this horrible fucking thing that he has to do but, like and it's, it's not even restored it's almost as if as he watches there are some great moments right when they're performing the exorcism is shockingly short they even mentioned the one in africa took like six weeks and you're like this one took like fucking 16 minutes yeah but um as he's watching Marin like not move because the the pea soup hits his glasses you see him and karis is frantic where he's like i didn't have faith now mm-hmm. i feel like i need it i don't know if mine's enough yeah. And you see this like panic. So this guy who's given his whole life to this fucking thing is now like, oh shit, it still wasn't enough and I'm going to blow it. It's awesome. Because that's one thing, I don't know if this struck you, but again, the lack of music. So as they're saying, the power of Christ compels you and they're throwing water, they just look like two stupid idiots. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like the same way when like you see like some lady in her slippers who doesn't want to come outside. It's like, Rocky, Rocky. No, no totally. put the Rocky, Rocky. And it's like the dog's not listening. Yeah. And so instead of having this heroic, like Lord of the Rings score, like these are the warriors of God, it's just two idiots in robes fucking throwing water. I on mean, that's exactly, I think that that's what makes this so unique too, is because the exorcism, yeah, the exorcism is really not that impressive when you think about it. Like you think about other movies we've watched, like, I mean, we watched the exorcism of Emily Rose, which has like probably one of my all time favorite, just like crazy ass exorcism scenes. You're like, damn, that is fucking boss. This movie is lit. There's no score behind it while it's happening. There's no tubular bells occasionally. Yeah. Like there's almost no music the entire time. And all it is is, yeah, like these two assholes that are just like throwing holy water on this (laughs) poor girl and just like trying to convince someone to leave. But like, I kind of wish the demon would have just stayed up on the ceiling and been like, how many times will they say this? Until they're like, sandwich? Like, we're out. We, we fucking dropped. Taking a break. We got nothing. <laughs> union, union break. We got to get yeah. out. I the power of, oh, Jesus, I don't want our rep crawling up our ass. We'll see you in an hour. <laughs> That's like, but that I think to me is everything leading up to that. Like, that I think is the most impressive thing about this movie is there's so much emotional weight and so much emotion and so much depth that leads up to this moment up to this thing that like we've like it's the title of the fucking movie and we haven't seen an exorcism yet so you're like okay it's got to be the end and then yeah you have that great fucking shot of mike max von Sydow getting out of the car and you're like oh man it's gonna happen right now and you realize the only but the only reason that this works and the only reason that it's so powerful is because so much has been thrown behind it that you get to this point and you're like the safe it's it's not just saving this girl. It's saving all of, uh, like, it's almost like you say trying to save the audience. Like Karis and Mariner and they're trying to save the audience themselves. Like we can't have this thing leap out the screen and grab one of you. We have to banish it for good. Like it, the power of that moment is built because there's so much behind these performances that give you like, and again, Max von Sydow is in what? I don't know. like 25 minutes of the movie total i i I, I could again i didn't do a clock for it but he's like yeah the opening 10 and the last like 20 max he's this prolific figure that people talk about but like it is 
Jason Miller with this fucking like yeah. all timer performance coming in as this conflicted and conflicted for like many reasons, not like even conflicted of his faith, but just conflicted by like what his faith hath wrought. Like there's so much of this incredible performance that you get there and you're like, Oh my God, like I so want Karis to just like win this thing. Like, Again, you're just like Mar- Marin's there, and you're like, oh, good, like he has a season pro or whatever. But you're like, I need. Karis you were just to step cheering up. like it was a uh, a world star video when he just starts stalking her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he just hits much. her that quick hip roll and just. Psh, psh. I was it's... like, Jesus! I was like, way to pay off the boxing, like way to really fucking. <laughs> a lot of people hate the ending of this movie. I actually have always found that critique to be a bit horseshit. Yeah. So I was like, what what are your let's like just kind of I was I've always asked people at bars, I'm like, role play this out with me. What are like the three endings of this movie, right? Mm-hmm. They think she's cured, and then the last shot is her like Bleh. you know, drooling some fucking green soup, whatever. Oh, she's still or there's oh, we did it. Oh the angelic light comes down and burns the sin off of everyone in the room. Right. Or there's some kind of like messy shit doesn't wrap up clean ending which is what this is i mean right again that's what that's that's life like that again that is what makes the exorcist so exceptionally terrifying if if the fucking light from heaven came down i guarantee you people would have hated this movie this movie would have been an absolute disaster one thousand percent i think that ending would have i think there's a little bit of confusion with the ending that feels natural like the rest of the movie and it led to one of my favorite moments in the film for Karis, because this is the moment where all of his shit hasn't worked, right? Like everything, his whole life, he's been fighting for one thing. He tells this mother, your daughter won't die. She will have broken orbital bones because my right hook is mean. But other than that, she'll be solid. And he just begs the demon, take me, right? Yeah. This is my thing. This is what it's supposed to be for. Yeah. And is it great that he leaps out the window? No, not particularly, Whatever. right? And he does, you get that awesome POV of him coming back for the little girl. But it shows Karis has this, he has that little extra bit of fortitude, right? That little bit of rekindled faith that I will try to destroy this thing. And if it destroys me, fine. I finally found some reason to give it all up. Yeah. And is that great? No, but when his, when his feather, fellow priest, like, and he's squeezing his hand with his like chewed up finger meat. And he's just gently squeezing his friend's hand. I was like, that's about as poetic and beautiful. I mean, it's, an ending as this movie would have gotten. I mean, he finds, he finds the access that he needs to his faith. I think that's the thing that that's the thing yeah. that Karis's journey is requ- is required of. It's not Karis starts this story as a man who's at the precipice. This whole experience not only pulls him back, but fortifies his not devotion to the Lord necessarily, but his devotion to his vocation, which is to help people. Right. And so for him to do that and this like self, I think that's the thing that doesn't sit well sometimes with people is that this movie is about, yes, like there's religion involved. It's Catholicism. Like this is exorcism is a thing you hear about all the time. Like, but it's a personal journey. And I think that's, what's so great about Karis's experience is that it ends on this note of like, I'm doing this because it's, it's not about canonizing me. It's the right thing to do. It's the, it's the thing that I became 
a priest for is to help people. And I think that's right. Yeah. The, po- the poetic and yeah, the poetic little squeeze at the end. It's, it's a great ending. And that's, that's all it is. Right. And this is one of the things that kind of bothers me. Cause every time it's like one of those like film Twitter hot takes is the ending of the exorcist is a cop out. And again, I walk them through the experiment. So what ending would you like better? No one ever has anything better first off. And I'm not saying it's like the fucking greatest ending in the world. It is unfulfilling, but I think that's, I think that's absolutely intentional because what Karis reminds us, right. And I think this is what people forget about when they're talking about religion. There's no one that walks through this earth, fucking Lily white and unjaded. Right. Right. We all are constantly creatures of sin, but what the movie reminds us is that a good man who tries his best, even a man who lost his faith, right. Can in one moment find the courage and the faith, to do something greater than his base human instinct. And that is what religion is supposed to provide us. If you can Absolutely. be truly great and godlike for one moment that you're willing to help someone else, right? And to me, I, I've always thought that was a really good ending for me. Like I, especially because it's care. Again, if they did this like white knight priest, right? Well, we're just going to come in and fucking whoop demonic ass, which you see all the time in movies. Yeah. And even something like Emily Rose, where it's that is like the Marvel equivalent of an exorcism scene, right? Like, oh, yeah, nothing they do makes any sense. They're just going ape shit. But again, the priest isn't like really a priest in that one either. It's a great scene. Don't get me wrong. But that's standing on the shoulder of this giant. And I think it's those small it's you so relate to the human decisions that Karis makes. Yeah. Right. And I love the fact that he doesn't walk in there like. My faith is restored. I'm going to recite the no. shit out of thee. Like the scene when the bed's levitating, right? And all we see is Karis from like eyes up. That's like a little kid shot in a movie. And they do it to this man who's supposed to be the crusader of the almighty. And he's like, Father Karis, repeat. And he's just like, uh, this is fucked. Yeah. And you see it in his eyes. And to me, that's perfect. Because if he all of a sudden is like, oh, good. I do know God is real. I can go in there and be the Terminator. That doesn't work for this no, film. That's not what this movie is. And again, that speaks to the importance of the realism of this movie. Like, yes, this is, the, this is real life. Real life is messy and it never straightens out the way it should. Like you have to, someone, not just father Marin, like somebody important to the story has to die at the end. If only Marin dies at the end, like here, like there's another option here. If only Marin dies at the end of this movie, there's absolutely no emotional weight. If Marin dies, Reagan saved, and you just see like her and Karis hugging at the end, and like because that's the shot. Her like it's a it's a pan out. Her and Karis are hugging on the bed at the end. Yeah. Like Chris Wire, her runs mom in, comes like, in and kisses the kisses last message everybody. of the demon out. Yeah, yeah, that's the fucking like. If that's yeah. your fucking ending, it's a cop. That is a cop out. To not well, give... they, they also play Father Marin as if he's not a real person most of the time. Right, film. absolutely. He's just this, he's, like... he's the one who's like untouchable, like ivory. He's not a human. No, no. Everybody speaks of this man like he's fucking Optimus Prime. So like that's like essentially <laughs> like what it ends up being. It's like, oh yeah, that guy. But Optimus Prime Rib at the early bird special. Let's go. <laughs> Can we get this exorcism done? It's 6 30. I gotta go to bed. But it's, <laughs> but like, again, that's what I love the most about the way the movie ends is it's, it feels very real. Like this is absolutely like that is Karis's experience. Of course, Father Karis would do that. Of well, course. Think on this too, right? If I ask you a question 
So that fuck the butthole detective, right? The angriest of the twelve angry men. Yeah, I was gonna he's say. Like, he's lead, just over there sniffing around. Back in it with us. Yeah, asking for coffees. He doesn't finish like a real cock, right? Like a real fucking dickhead. What do you What do you think the police report says the next day? About Karis killed them death? all. It says Karis killed them all. Oh yeah, for sure. Karis killed the director. Karis killed Marin. Karis was trying to kill the girl. And he knew he was going to be found out and he jumped to his death, right? That he was a maniac, right? A religious maniac. Like he was questioning him earlier. So this is not Father Karras. I mean, he's not going to get canonized or get a proper burial in a Catholic ritual. He just, he literally just gave it all up, right? His life, his religion. He gave up everything for one moment to save this child. And I I mean, that report has to say that Father Karras is the slayer. Probably, yeah. Right? Like, there. what is the other option? That the girl fucking threw this man out after she made no, the old man be, have a heart attack? And, like, and again, we get to, guy. like, you know, we'll get to it in Heretic. But, like, Sequels yeah. address some of this stuff, but let's just pretend that those don't but let's not, yeah, if you assume it doesn't, but, yeah, like, you, you accuse the people who are most conveniently accused. And that, of course, yeah. is dead people because they have absolutely no way of. Tidy bows is what we like. That's it. So like really yeah. when you think about and this it, isn't this isn't like he's like, I'll be a hero. He's only a hero to two people, yeah. him and that girl. And that's all that matters. I think yeah. that's the really important. Yeah. And then like, OK, first off, I love Lee J. Cobb in this movie. Like He's yeah, so fucking good. He's so good. Like everybody. <laughs> yeah. And again, like I talk about performances all the time. Like I think Jason Miller has like one of the top five greatest acting performances in the history of film. But. Like, Especially considering this was his first film, his first fucking movie. Like all he was a, at that, he'd been an artist, but like all he was at that point a was a playwright. Animal. He had written one yeah. play that Friedkin had seen, and he like, if you read some of the like really great like the way this movie came together and the way this cast became the cast is fucking shocking in a lot of well, ways. Well, also if you listen to William Friedkin, he makes it sound as if he was the literal vessel of all of God's best decisions. William Friedkin comes off as a little bit of a c word. Oh yeah, if you <laughs> listen to him, but talk that's about because he's like an old, he's like that old crusty director type. He came up through news, so he's got this like documentary vibe, which what I'm yeah. talking about. But like, yeah, like originally, like actually, they had to pay. That's out. the Stacey, c word I meant, crusty. I glad you said it. Yeah, you're welcome. Stacy Keach actually was originally supposed to be um, Father Karras, and he had a pay or play contract that the studio had to pay out because. Friedkin was like, it's got to be Jason. He probably would have been an awesome Karis, too. would have been too. great. Look, everybody, I mean, like, the movie is written. He, that Karis, really well. as he is, is so fucking iconic. Yeah. It's impossible for me to separate him out. Agreed. But Stacey Keach. Stacey Keach would have been but, fine. But I actually want to walk you back for a minute, if you don't yeah, mind. Please. I want to talk about this Iraq opening, right? <laughs> I know sure. this was one of the things the studio desperately wanted this to be removed. From oh, me. yeah, they hated it. Why, in your estimation, would you have cut it, or do you think this is important to the film, and why? It's important to the film, somewhat. I, I waffle on this, but I, I liked it more today. I'd like to hear your I, thoughts on that. I think that the beginning of this movie sets up... It sets up the... I mean, it sets up the good versus evil pretty succinctly. I obviously would have cut out, like, I don't know five minutes of this like i would have made it five minutes shorter for sure you could have just shown the like the statue of the demon with two snake dicks and been like 
you get it. You wouldn't yeah. want that in your bedroom. Like to me, unless this, you would, I don't know. <laughs> to me, this scene sets up. It, it oddly, it sets up Father Marin oddly. Like it does this sort of strange thing where he's like about to like have a heart attack and he's taking his heart pills and you're like, all right, he's old. I get it. Like that to me is like that stuff is the part that's actually very unnecessary to the whole thing. What is right. really necessary is to show Father Marin outside the clergy. He works outside the clergy. This is not something he is doing anymore. So when he shows up, it is like fucking, you know, like it is like a surprise appearance from like Hulk Hogan during WrestleMania, like that kind of thing. Yeah. Like that to me is what makes that's a weird, that's a weird analogy, but like, just spot on though. But like, that's the point. Like if only me, father Marin would have been like the power of the NWO. Harris <laughs> <laughs> and like leg drops him. But that's, but to me, like showing Marin outside the clergy and outside the church itself, okay. like him deciding to be essentially like a theological archaeologist is it means he's on he's on a different mission than everyone else. It really what it does is sets up the mission itself. It's not necessarily yeah. about setting up like good versus evil. It works anyways. But really what this is about setting up the mission, the investigation to begin with, which is that all the way in Iraq. Marin finds this statue of Pazuzu and he's like, I've seen this before. And then we, and huh. then we cut to Georgetown. He's and like, like, Oh no, I found this little one. And then like 10 minutes later, he's like, but here's this fucking 20 foot. Here's a huge has the snake bastard. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like to me, like, it's, it's a setup. Yeah. It's a setup that doesn't need to happen, but it's a setup that works as only like, it's probably the most, setup we've seen in a movie like this like that like almost doesn't matter it's exposition that it's doesn't funny matter because the empty man kind of did this too right uh yeah that's a good point yep there's an empty Here's, man vibe sure it's funny because i've always it's always the one thing about this film that actually bothers me right is that this old bastard digs up a little tiny head and then sees the big version mm-hmm and somehow this little girl in boston gets attacked by that demon and he has to go fight it at the end right and it's kind of the weird thing about The Exorcist that Father Marin becomes this, he becomes the Indiana Jones of this series where they constantly are throwing it back to Marin. And when we get to Dominion and prequel, they go back and do Marin's origin. And I think he's actually by far the least interesting character in The Exorcist series. But, Father Marin? Yeah, Father Marin. Oh, yeah. He's, 1, he's just this, like, like I he's, said, he's just crucifix board stiff. Like I, I am told the you, good guy. This is this is Hulk Hogan showing up in WrestleMania. You're like, got yes. it. Thank you. But there was something about it today because that that little disconnect of why this girl gets selected. Right. I like the idea that it's just her, and it just happens whether it's psychological or real. You know, they do the Ouija board shit and Mister Howdy or Captain Howdy. Captain Howdy, yeah. Yeah, it, I think that was the first movie that really villainized the Ouija board on a big scale, right? <laughs> sure. But it's, yeah, Dark Lords, Milton and Bradley hath unleashed fury in your Christmas tree. No, that's neither here nor there. But there, there's just a disconnect to this, right? And I know this was one of those freakings, like it has to be in the movie. It sets up the otherworldly whatever. I kind of don't accept that, but there is a really interesting quality to this, right? Which I think does work for the movie a little bit. Which is, you just see, there's almost this very white POV where everyone who's just living in their Middle Eastern village is shown as not us, mm -hmm. right? 
maybe it's me watching as the audience, even though I'm part Middle Eastern. They go out of their way to show like, oh, this is a scary, different world. And so the idea of this white clergyman searching for these ancient boogeymen with which to export to his other white brethren, right? Because the Catholic Church is essentially religious Walmart, right? They took these from these, you know, Middle Eastern cultures and then just whited them up and infected Europe and then a lot of the world with it. There was kind of this beautiful short film of this old clergyman who's still looking for non-white boogeymen to make his life mission seem worthwhile and him looking around and saying oh there's two dogs fighting that never happens and then you know every middle eastern person he sees looks scary to him as if he's looking for a devil in every corner sure there's something kind of beautiful about that opening with that kind of mindset to me I do think it's wildly unnecessary to the film. And in a movie that takes a while to really get cooking anyways, I don't know that I ever needed this. It is beautifully shot. You're right about that. Everything in this movie is wonderfully shot. But it does feel, I feel like they put too much on this moment with Marin and that it should have mattered to how she got possessed. I don't know. I, I've, I've always waffled I on mean, the I, ending, but I like the idea of him still looking for bad guys. I mean, I think that the the terror and the real fear of it being anybody, let alone a 12-year-old girl, is what makes... He, it starts in Iraq, and then it goes to Georgetown. You're like, that could not be any different, those two places. <laughs> so this fucking little asshole could be anywhere yeah. with his big snake dick. Just ready yeah. to insert himself. Big snake into dick swinging. You're telling me Regan bought the only fucking Ouija board? Like, come on, she's the only Ouija board owner. I don't buy right. that. I mean, like to me, I think this is the again. I'm trying not to talk about anything to do with the heretic right now, but in my own, in my I'm own, actually stoked to talk about the heretic. In my well, I am, but I'm not like trying to talk about it right now. <laughs> In my own experience, like just reading about <laughs> possession and exorcism and that kind of thing, like a lot of people think like, oh, bad people are the people who are possessed. It's not really like that at all. Like what it is, is the people who are susceptible to possession and the people who are susceptible to possession are people that generally don't realize they're susceptible to possession. Yeah. So for me, it would make total sense. Of course, it's a 12 year old. That makes it terrifying. I on think a, that's levels, the, the but... one thing, right, is that. Marin's journey doesn't link up with it in an interesting way. And I feel like they just somehow when they cast Linda Blair, they just fucking knew. Yeah. And I feel like it's the one part of the movie where she was selected specifically because it'll be really scary if it's a little girl. Yeah. Because everyone knows a little girl, whether they have a daughter, a grandchild, a niece, a neighbor girl. It's hard for anyone to see that image, right? Of this small, beautiful, awesome child being accosted. Right. So I feel like that's the one. And again, that is such a small and bullshit gripe in a movie that delivers such epic quantities of amazing work. But it is the one thing where I was like, all right, it felt a little clunkier there to me. I mean, it's it's certainly peculiar. Like, it's a weird, again, like, it's a weird way to start a movie called The Exorcist. 
And like not well, only because it sets you up for a different movie, right? It's right. like oh, and you think not it's only like that, it's nineteen seventy three. Like imagine this movie coming out now, we'd be like, oh, Iraq, okay, cool, whatever. It's nineteen seventy three. Like b- there's barely anybody in this country who knows what Iraq is, let alone where it is on a map. So like, <laughs> yeah, that's see, that's what it is. An interesting thing of its time. Well, also, if they made the movie now, it'd have to start with a really scary exorcist scene right at the start. Well, that's how made, we make movies. If now. they made the movie now with the way that they have it, it would like start with like a Paul Greengrass type thing where like the camera's super shaky <laughs> riding through like the triangle of death or something like that. <laughs> like, or like real. a Wes Anderson, like the house just opens. We see Regan like the Darjeeling limited. Yeah. We just push in on a fucking dead solid. This was Regan. Right. Beautiful color palette. It's, it's definitely uh, it's definitely an Alec Baldwin voiceover, you know? Fuck, dude! Reagan I kind of want to see Reagan Bill Walton or Bill Walton, the NBA announcer. Not, well, no, not, I'm not even gonna do a Bill Walton. Uh, a Wes Anderson, and then Bill Murray is Regan. He's like, am I? That's neither here nor there. Now I want to. Now I want to watch Wes Anderson's The Exorcist. <laughs> I know. Now it's like kind of running through my head, and I'm interested. Um, Reagan lived in back small house in Georgetown. Though. Yeah, go ahead. So we've gone this whole time. We haven't really talked about. The possessed, the fucking exorcism, man. Uh, what did you make of watching Regan just get pulled into the depths of hell? I mean, it's terrifying. Like, it's fu- you know what it struck me. You watch it, and I was like, I've seen this movie over twenty times. It never gets less intense to me. And I know it's one of those things on Letterbox. You'll see a lot of people like, well, it looks pretty hokey. And I was like, if you can divorce yourself enough to that being like your kid in your home, like good on you, man. That Honestly, like the fuck out tonight <laughs> is night two. We just started putting the kid in like a little bed, like his own yeah. little bed now. And yeah, the first thought I had is like, what the fuck would I do if I woke up? And I was like, so like he like he's being like whipped back and forth in his bed like that. That scene when the psychiatrist yeah. walk in and that's happening like that is fucked. And they're just like muscle spasms. And it's so that's double scary. It's one you're like, bitch, we all just saw this. And then they're like, no, it's not scary. I mean, the yeah. one for me that just fucking makes my hair crawl when they walk in and it's kind of like her first meeting with Karis, just the way she's just like slumped in her fucking eyes. Right. It's, it's a lot of those moments where she's doing nothing but just staring at them. Like the way I stare at like a 50 piece McNug after a night out on the town. And it's like, it's, it just trans it, it transports so much fear and unease into my butt. Cause that's the wild thing. This was one of the first movies I watched that I, that felt really unsafe to me. I did feel like something was happening to me and I couldn't stop it. I remember my mom telling me the story, I think where it's like, what was that fucking butthole pastor's name? Like Jimmy, Jimmy Graham's a tight end, not him. Yeah, Billy Jimmy Graham. Graham's a tight end. The, Billy uh, Graham. Yeah. Billy Graham, way worse at football, way more in love with stealing people's money. True. Neither here nor there. But he actually wanted to burn the original print of The Exorcist because he thought a demon was trapped in it. And I was like, that's the most metal shit I've ever heard. I want to see this movie. But I remember I was still at that young age. Where I was like, oh, movies before the 80s suck. They're so boring and they look like shit. Well, And this was one of the first ones like, oh, fuck you know like it all of a sudden you watch that and you're like now i gotta see texas chainsaw and it's your fucking mind is exploding uh watching this movie what what are some of the parts that just uh, the fucking net growing thing always really freaked me out where she gets like the frog neck yeah 
the neck thing. I mean, honestly, anything before we start seeing like gross possessed face. Yeah. That stuff. Like, you don't want to know the thing that like really freaks me out. Actually, this is like, this is kind of weird, but, um, when they take her back in to the doctors and she like the third huge machine, which is just that thing that's like whirling around over her head and she's just sweating profusely and just like, (sighs) like that, Right, fucking the fucking hair on the back of my neck, like stood. Well, because that could be a science fiction movie. That could be anything. I don't even know what that machine yeah. is. I was just like, that looks horrible. That could be how they make Soylent Green, for all we know. Right, like that's scary in a whole other <laughs> yeah. way. Yeah. Right, the medicalist, like when my son he went to the ER, his whole face was swollen. He looked like slob. I had to put my finger in his mouth and keep a mouth hole open so he didn't suffocate and die. And we went in, and like he's like. Ah! like like a little possessed child he was a fucking baby right but just like the strength of his body fighting to survive because he's so scared and i was like a high school wrestler i'm a big guy i was holding him down with both my like arms in like a t-rex hold and he was pushing me and he couldn't have been even three right and just his eye locking with me like you fucking betrayer like you failed me as they're like jabbing you know whatever epi pens into him it was one of the most horrifying nights of my life right and it's just, it's that's what I mean. This movie, the fear of this movie is relatable. It's fucking scary. And then the next morning, the doctor's like, well, that was a wild night. And I'm like, uh, yeah, so what is my kid allergic to so we can never do this again? He goes, no clue. And I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, it beats me. And I was like, you're a fucking doctor. Tell me now. And we never have figured it out. And it's just something that could be looming over us again one day. So, like, the medical shit is even scary, right? I mean, there was a scene today I noticed that fucking, like, just so so unbelievable. Is when she starts kind of, like, oozing after the first bout of exorcism, right? That's when he, like, pulls his scarf out, Mm -hmm. right? And it's, like, covered in the soup. I'm like, maybe let that one go, dude. Um, But when she rolls over, right, her back's to us, and Marin's in there, like, pulling his scarf out. But because it's cold, the way her breath is makes her look like she's like a fucking fire breathing demon dragon. Yeah. And I was like, that's one of those small things that just, it works so fucking beautifully. And I'm sure the point wasn't like, make her look like a fire breathing demon, but it's just fucking perfect how it lands. Yeah. It's the movie is just like, so it does everything right. Honestly. Like, I think this is the thing, like as much as we can say, like, there are things we wouldn't necessarily have agreed with, like in making a movie, everything about the exorcist hits whatever note it means to hit. And I mean, it's, there's nothing about the movie that doesn't feel meant to terrorize you. Like that's it. Like just, it makes you feel unsafe in the real world you inhabit. Exactly. Right. That's it. Even when the head's spinning and this and that set, like the rooms flying about, right. A little more supernatural. Just stuff like her saying, you know, like, stick it up her ass. Your mother sucks cocks in hell. That kind of shit. And then the scene when Help Me is written on her own stomach. And you're like, so Regan's in there with those things. Wherever that thing is, she's in there begging for them to save her. That's one of those that never really, like, sunk into my brain until today. Like, how absolutely scary that is. That was terrifying, too. I forgot about that part. Yeah, I mean, you've got the like the the grotesque face and the eyes and the cloudy eyes and everything in that movie is fucking scary. But just that help me, 
that's fucking horrifying. Or how about walking in on your daughter, just make Jesus fuck you and just stab and like cutting in close on that, like the balls on freaking and then rubbing mom's face in it. You're like, dude, it's it's just one of those. And then you throw in the little flashes of the, the demon face. And dude, it's a it's a lot to take in, man. I, I, I'm always stunned. I don't know if it's a good or bad thing that this movie was so impactful that it just created this like new lane for horror movies to try to do their version of the exorcist that at this point, it often does seem mundane compared to some of the things we've seen. I mean, again, there's one, of but those... nothing hits like this, right? I think that's the thing. Like you have to consider is just like, nothing's ever going to be the exorcist again. Like that. No. It's my favorite subgenre of horror is exorcism possession horror. I've seen hundreds of them and they're all just trying. It's kind of like, I remember the Coen brothers saying that every filmmaker is just trying to remake wizard of Oz. Right. And it's one of those really interesting concepts to think about, right? Like when a movie's so good that it breaks the mind of us as a species, we are like, that's the bar. Now that's where that's, I still am watching people this year, try to do the exorcist. That's all anybody's again. Any movie is trying to be the exorcist because yeah. it, it does what it has to do so yeah. well. And so terrifyingly it's real. It feels yeah. so real. And so many movies like it don't that the realness is it's, it's over what now we're like almost, it's almost like 50 years old. Like we're mm. like, so scary. It's terrifying. And this is the thing too, like imagine, I don't know if like the MCU and Pixar have kind of lopsided (laughs) the results, but there was a time within the last decade, maybe two, that adjusted for inflation, this was still the ninth biggest movie of all time. This is now the second. A hard hard R horror movie. Yeah, this is now the second highest grossing hard R horror movie behind it. And I don't know if it's hard R I don't know what the, the ratings R, were. R rated, sorry. R rated yeah. horror movie. Well, no, it is a hard R if it's, but you know, like how Jaws is PG. I don't know if the ratings were the same back then. But this was, yeah, at one point it was the ninth highest grossing adjusted for inflation, right? Right. And this is a horrifying horror movie that is an assault on American life, especially American straight Christian life, nuclear family life. And people couldn't wait to go fucking have their shit rocked by this movie. And I'm telling you, the more we've talked about it, I'm like, if I had that fucking time machine, it's down to just this in star Wars. Yeah, probably because what this movie is to my existential crisis and dread, which I have in droves, Mm -hmm. uh, they are Legion in my fat body. Uh, star Wars is that for joy. So it just depends on what day you caught me on. It's true. But, um, fuck man, I would love to see this for an audience that had never seen anything quite like this for the first time it's it's the exorcist that's it one of the greatest of all time guys here on our october mega marathon so you guys know the deal a new pod every day 31 pods 31 days uh technically 32 movies though because we're doing uh the exorcist beginnings and dominion is one comparative pod because no one needs to do that two days in a row We're not going to do that to you, but we are doing the Exorcist series in its completion uh, the next couple days. So come back tomorrow for Exorcist 2, The Heretic, which I'm actually 
so excited to talk about. Um, I'm probably less excited lot, to talk about it, but I'm still excited to talk about it. It's going to be an interesting show, no matter what you think of the movie. So, guys, we know it's a lot. Thank you for sticking with us. We have a blast every October doing this. I feel reinvigorated. I'm not the aged old priest. I'm the uh, surly drunken director who's trying to fight at the charcuterie board. That's me now. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow. Remember that Patreon is patreon.com slash filmalchemist. Uh, the best way to help us out, guys. Come on, join us. Yeah, worship us like that giant snake dick statue. <laughs> wow.